You are now listening to Strands of Our Nation, Conversations with Dr. K, produced by the Carson Institute, which aims to provide a conversational space to discuss, debate, and explore answers to America's most urgent questions on racial, economic, and social injustice. I'm joined now by Leonard Pitts Jr., an American commentator, a journalist, and novelist. He is a nationally syndicated columnist and the winner of the 2004 Pulitzer Prize for Commentary. Mr. Pitts, thank you so much for joining me. It is my pleasure. So I want to ask you as we get started, we are only days away from a very historic election. Do you believe that this is probably one of the most important elections, not just of our lifetime, but one of the most important elections in the history of our nation? I think the only election that compares to it is probably the election of 1860 when Abraham Lincoln came to office and the southern states decided they wanted to go another direction. I think that's the only election at this point that compares to it. I used to compare it to uh, when uh, when Frederick, when uh, Franklin Roosevelt came to office uh, in, in the early 30s because he was facing depression and um, and uh, uh, you know later the Second World War. But I think this election is even more more momentous than that at this point. This is everything, all, all chips on the table. Which is what I want to get into, the chips that you're talking about on the table. I mean, people think it's just Donald Trump versus Joe Biden. You make the argument that there's a lot more at stake here. What is at stake? What's at stake is whether we are going to go forward as a multicultural and inclusive uh, democracy or whether we're going to sink into a... Uh, into uh, South Africa circa 1980, whether we're going to be a, uh, and even, not even, not even that, worse than that, where they're going to be a fascist version of South Africa circa 1980. When I say South Africa, I'm talking about minority rule over a majority, but there's also an element of fascism here that uh, you cannot ignore this whole taste for a single strong man who dictates the uh, dictates the terms is uh, is really kind of chilling. I saw you know um, the Lincoln Project has been doing these commercials uh, and the, these 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 online uh, ads. And I saw one the other day that was absolutely chilling. Of uh, this, one, the woman walks into her child's bedroom, and uh, you can hear the sounds of the uh, TV announcer in the background announcing that President you know, Trump that Trump has won another election. And she wakes up a little boy, a sleeping little boy, and uh, says, you wanted me to tell you who won the election. Well, Trump won. And the little boy says, but I thought you could only serve two terms. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and it, it really kind of hit me right here because I can see that. I can see, I can see going in that direction. I think what is most alarming to so many of us as we're watching this play out is that this is the first time that people are being told to make a plan, to think about safety, to be concerned that there might not be a peaceful transfer of power. Can, can you talk a little bit about how the environment around the election and the process has changed? Well, I think the whole idea has been to render, to, 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 to junk up the process, because when everything is, you know, in basketball, uh, in, in pro basketball, they, they used to have this term: uh, you gotta, you gotta uh, junk up the, the game. You've gotta, you know, which basically meant the other team is flowing and everything is gone. You've got to throw some elbows and sort of create some chaos and some confusion because if you can't win by talent, then you have to win by taking um, advantage of the confusion that you create. And I think something very similar is happening uh, politically. They're junking up the the process. They're creating uh, doubt where there was no doubt. They're creating confusion where there was no confusion. So that suddenly 
the postal service you know who and who who gave a second thought to the to the postal service five years ago in terms of being reliable now suddenly the poll we've got to question the postal service we've got to question uh, the 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 uh, balloting uh, places. We've got to question whether or not we'll be allowed to vote. We've got to we've got to check and double check. And I've been voting in every election since my God, uh, Carter. But I <laughs> but I'm but I'm online checking and double checking to make sure that my registration is is still valid. You've got to do all of these things all of a sudden. That these are ways of junking up the uh, of junking up the process hoping to sow confusion and then out of that to grab uh, take advantage of that confusion and create an, an outcome that otherwise you can't create but the thing that you have to understand is and the republicans uh, know this all too well if everybody votes if everybody who's eligible to vote votes they lose and a lot of us are tiptoeing around that and don't want to acknowledge that but they trust me they know that all too well they know that i believe it's once in the last uh, 20 elections, I believe it is, uh, 20 years, rather, uh, something like that. They, they've won, they managed to win the popular vote. They don't win the popular vote in the presidency anymore, you know? So, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at this and understand, okay, they understand, they see the writing on the wall, the demographic writing on the wall. And they had two choices. One choice was to change with the times and to go where the people are still offering, you know, whatever their conservative alternative is. Cause I think that, I think you need a, ideological choice but to be able to, to 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 marry that with the fact that we have a country now that is that has changed where lgbtq rights are now are, are now enshrined in law and, and more people support them where you know where a lot of the things that were litmus tests of conservatism no longer are they had the choice to go with that basically to go into the future or they had the choice to hang on to 1950 with a death grip and they have chosen to hang on to 1950 with a death grip and in the process, I think that they have created a very real danger of pulling this country apart. And it's important to remember that danger still exists, even if, as we all hope, uh, or at least as I hope, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Joe Biden becomes president, uh, president-elect next week. That, that danger still exists because you still got to deal with the people for whom Donald Trump was the answer to their questions and to their prayers. Those people aren't, even if Donald Trump is evicted from, from 1600 Pennsylvania, those people are still here in this country. Can you make a connection for us between the very quick, you know, confirmation hearing for Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who on paper doesn't seem to be the exact person who should fill that spot in terms of her very few years of being a judge, uh, in terms of her failure to talk about parts of the Constitution, and her denial of even wanting to speak forward about issues on how she might rule in the next couple of months. Can you talk about that quick process and how that connects to the, the death grip hold on 1950? Well, again, it's it, it's all it's all of a piece. It's all part of the of the of the same the the, the same thing. Um, I have this theory that if I care what you think, if your thoughts are important to me, I will tell you better lies or I will hide what I'm doing. You know, I, I won't call my boss to say I can't come to work today because I've got to arrange my sock drawer. I'll call my boss and say I can't work today because I'm deathly ill and grandma died, you know, and the house is on fire. You come up with better lies. And what we are seeing in the in the uh, in in this confirmation hearing and in, in other places is they don't care enough about us to lie, to to come up with better lies anymore. Think about it. These are the same people who 
four years ago said you cannot uh, install a Supreme Court justice uh, you know, in the last uh, year of a presidency. They made up this rule. And Barack Obama, I think, was eight months out from his uh, from uh, from the election when he tried to uh, to name a Supreme Court justice. No, no, you can't do that. Eight months is, is just entirely too close. And then that was their live in. And if you cared about what we thought, if you cared about intellectual consistency, there's no way that you could come back and say, as they have done, oh, no, a month is, is plenty of time. Eight months was too much for him, you know, did, did, but but a month is plenty of time to force this woman into office. And that's because they don't care. You know, you make a mistake when you focus on when you take them at their word. They don't care about the rule. They don't care about what you think. If they cared about what you think, they create better lies. They don't care about what you think. They care about maintaining power. So what they have done is force this woman through giving the, you know, giving conservatives, a 6-3 majority on the Supreme Court. And yeah, they know that what they did was scandalous. And yeah, they know that what they did makes hypocrites and liars of them all. And yeah, they don't care. Deal with it. That's their message to the rest of us. That, that's a hard message and a hard pill to swallow. Uh, I mean, you, 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 feel, you feel powerless in, in so many ways. And then you think about the power of the vote. But yet, just like you said earlier, Given that the Republican Party doesn't win the popular vote, they're pretty much telling us we don't even need you to win. We have the Supreme Court, as in Bush v. Gore, that set the precedence for Trump v. Clinton. So we don't even need the people to vote. We, we have a small number of people in positions of power. And so we can continue to shape policy and we can shape the presidency and we can shape this country for years to come. That, that's a very frightening possibility. It is a power grab. And the question is, what, you know, what we the people will do about it. And we the people are, are voting now. But what I fear is what will happen if, you know, if, those, if the will of the people continues to be ignored. I'm not just talking about whether or not Trump leaves the White House. I'm talking about the whole, the whole thing. The other aspect of this, again, that we, that we fail to, to, to really deal with is on all those litmus test issues of conservatism, the Republicans are in the minority in terms of what people want, whether it's guns, whether it's LGBTQ rights, whether it's uh, women's reproductive uh, rights, all of that stuff. They represent the majority, the minority view, but they are forcing the minority view on the country. And the question becomes, how long will, 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 will people deal with that and continue playing by the rules. Uh, I think, again, returning to the Supreme Court, this whole question of whether or not to pack the court is fascinating to me because it, the, 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 fact, the very fact that Republican, that Democrats are seriously considering this tells you, okay, well, if, if you're not going to play by the rules, if you're going to junk up the game, then, you know, I have no choice but to junk up the game. And I think as a pragmatic thing, yeah, okay, I, I can, I can, I can see with you know they've left you no choice. But long term, you know that if if all we're doing is throwing elbows, who's playing basketball? If all we're doing is fist fighting, you know nobody's playing basketball. To to extend the analogy, so you know this whole idea of junking up the game, yeah, okay, where does that end? And I don't, and it's hard to see where that ends with one nation indivisible. It's hard to see where that ends, you know, and, and until and unless the Republicans, you know, decide at some point that the country is more important than their ideology and that the country is more important than stoking white resentment. I can't buy into this both sides argument because, frankly, Democrats, for all their flaws, you know, 
have to have have to their detriment, frankly, spent too much time being spent. I won't say too much time. Spent a lot of time being the adults in the room, while 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 the while the GOP was throwing a temper tantrum. So the question becomes: How long can you continue to do that? You know, while while the country is burning down, while while they're burning down the country around you, how long do you continue to do that? And at what point do you start throwing elbows? How long do you continue bringing bringing boxing gloves to a back alley knife fight? I guess to you know to to change the analogy, how long do you continue doing that? And that's the questions that that's the question that the Democrats are are, are facing now. And you know, God bless Joe Biden, who has who has staked his uh, career and his possible presidency on on reconciliation and we're all together and, and, and one nation indivisible. And I hope he's right, but I don't know that he is. And that's very interesting because when we talk about the ways in which we're dealing with power, the ways in which power shifts, just to use your analogy, you know, junking up the game, thinking about, you know, boxing and when there's a, a knife fight going on, there is a sense for a lot of people that the Democratic Party has been playing by the rules and losing because of it, right? So you, you watch the other team. I'm not a basketball person. I did watch Michael Jordan, though. When the other team starts to junk up the game, Jordan just upped his game, had everyone else junk it up while he continued to score. It feels like the game is being junked up. We don't have a Jordan on our side. So we're losing while playing by the rules. We, we're playing checkers while the Republican Party is playing chess because we're in the middle of a right-wing revolution and they are winning at this moment. They're, they're winning through sheer brute force. They're not winning by, by the quality of their arguments. They're not winning because they have superior legislative skills. They're not winning because they're better at, at following or interpreting or using the law. They are winning by sheer brute force. And frankly, by, they're winning by their willingness to ignore the rules, uh, to ignore the law, and to ignore just the, the customs and rituals that, that, that make us a country. A lot of the stuff that makes us, that allows a free society, this free society to function, is not written in a law book. It's stuff we do because it's stuff we do. It's stuff we do because this is what makes us who we are. For example, a president turns over his tax returns or a person who wants to be president turns over his tax returns. There's no law that says you got to do that, but you do it because here I'm transparent, here I want you to know every you know everything that that I've that I've had going on. Here's here's the information. One and 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 we think of that as sort of ironclad. Even though it's not written in the law, we think cuz it's what people do. And then one person comes along and says no and and doesn't care enough about you to give you a a, a good lie. I'm I'm under audit. I'd love to do it, but I'm under audit. Doesn't care enough about what you think to give you a decent lie. And you realize how fragile that consensus always was. All it took was one man willing to be the proverbial bull in the China shop for you to realize how fragile the China is, how fragile all of this is. So all of these customs and things we take for granted, the, you know, they, 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 were, they were always very fragile. The emoluments clause, presidents can't make uh, money from foreign governments. You know, and that's not even a, that's not even a tradition. That's a law, and you find out well that's pretty fragile too. You know, and and that's that's hard to take. That's that that sort of you know, that's hard to deal with for me. Uh, in, in discovering all of the things that that my country has been founded on, or that 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 political culture has been pegged on all these years, that how much of it is just breakable. That's interesting that that you put it that way. Because in the ways in which I'm trying to process 
the, the Trump presidency, the, the three years and, and 10 months that we have been living as he has been remaking America, what, what we're finding is that all of the points of conflict in our country, if you go back to American slavery, you think about the Civil War, was all about the fact that what we're built on, it's very fragile. Like, it exists because people play by the rules. No one says there's a law that you have to get in line, but we get in line and do that as a form of respect. You know, we teach our kids to raise their hand in class. There's no law that says you have to raise your hand to speak in class, but we just kind of make that a rule around civility. And Donald Trump has shown us this is why slavery lasted. This is why people had to die in order to end slavery. This is why it took so long to even implement the 1954 Brown v. Board decision, because there are people who are saying, you know what, I don't have to do it. And if I don't have to do it, then I won't do it. That's the part of us we don't talk about. We, we live by unspoken agreements between us all. John Stewart on the, uh, of The Daily Show used to like to show this clip of people taking turns entering the Hudson, um, the Hudson River Tunnel, I believe it is, in, in New York. Forgive me, New Yorkers, if I'm, if I'm getting my geography wrong. But entering that tunnel, you know, to go to go uh, to go across the river in New York, and you know, the driver's like, "Okay, your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn." That's a social. That's a social covenant. That's an agreement. But if if three drivers on this side decide, "Oh, I'm just going," you know, it so it, it breaks everything. It breaks everything, and that that unspoken agreement. But unspoken agreements is how a society functions, especially a free society. Your turn, then my turn. Your turn, then my turn. This is how we do things. And, you know, suddenly we find out, okay, that, that's very fragile stuff. I used to think of it as sort of baked in and, 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 and hardcore and just the way things are done. No, that, that's very fragile stuff. And again, we got this one guy who says, no, I'm not doing it. And we have all these people who have empowered him because the goal is to get back to 1950. We've got all these people who have empowered him or have said, oh, I, don't, I, I see nothing. I don't see any, what, what, nothing wrong here. He's being misunderstood. We have all these people who have empowered him, and we're left with the with the disaster that we have that we have right now. And I'll, I'll tell you, it, it's fascinating to me to see this happen in this country because, you know, Lincoln famously said, I forget what year it was in the Lyceum speech. He essentially said, I'm, I don't want to try to quote it directly, but he essentially said that no other nation could destroy America. That if we if we if we are to, uh, to perish, we must either uh, live together forever. As free as a nation of free men, or die by suicide, I believe is is roughly the quote. And you know, he said that uh, 12, 20 years before the Civil War, and it came true. Then it's coming true again here, a, a century over a century and a half later. No other nation had the power to to threaten or endanger us. No terrorist group. Terrorist groups had the power to make us angry, to make us sad, to 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 deliver trauma to our doorstep, but they did not have the power to break this country. We are breaking ourselves. And that is the great tragedy of this moment. America is breaking itself. I add what is happening is America is breaking itself because I wholeheartedly agree. I add to that this global pandemic because what the pandemic has uncovered is all the things that we took for granted, the, the civility, the social norms, the, oh, wear a mask, not for yourself, but to protect everyone else. What we realize is that people won't put a mask on for the same reason they won't wait, wait their turn in line, for the same reason they won't speak up if there's a lynching happening down the street from their house. Because if it doesn't pertain to me and my house, 
I don't have to do it. That whole love your neighbor as yourself, we, we say that, but when it comes down to it, we don't see that on the ground. Like it took George Floyd in the midst of a pandemic to get some white people out of their homes and on their streets to recognize that black lives matter and that someone has to say something. Yeah, no, I, 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 I agree. It's like the pandemic is the extra, the extra sauce on top of all of this that we, that we didn't really, that we didn't really need. And it's, it's, it's exposing not only what, you know, what you said, but it's also exposing, uh, you know, the dangers in this era of alternative truths. You know, Stephen Colbert coined, coined the term, I think it was in 2007, truthiness. And I've been writing about this probably since 2007, 2006, somewhere in there, this whole idea of people not having a shared reality, a shared truth. And, you know, we are now beginning to see it. At that time, it seemed like an abstract danger, but we are now beginning to see the very real dangers of that. Because the, what, what, we, what we're seeing is people who, who don't believe that the, the deadliest, pan, you know, this deadly pandemic and the worst pandemic of the last century, a, a once in a century pandemic, oh, it's not real. You know, those numbers aren't, those numbers aren't real. Those dead people aren't real. All of, you know, because we, we, they give themselves the permission to ignore what's right in front of them. And it, it what's frustra what frustrates the heck out of me, frankly, is the people who come on you know, who say what's well, not real, then they catch the, they catch the disease and they, they give these interviews in the hospital bed. Oh, I thought it was a joke. Believe me, it's no joke. It's, it's serious. Why didn't you know that when you saw the picture of the other person in the hospital bed? You know, why did it take you lying and, you know, lying there gasping for air and fighting for your life to understand this? You know, I have, I have this theory, experience is the most valuable thing in the world. And yet so often you can't give it away. I can't tell you, I can't tell you, don't do this, because I know from my experience, if you do this, this is what happens. And so often people will say, especially in an alternative truth world, people will say, no, 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 I don't believe you. That's that's fake news or, or, or whatever. I'll do it, but it's not going to happen to me. It amazes me how people will not accept experience. You know, you, you want to go through it and live it and live it yourself. That's just dumb. So then for my last question, um... You said something on my radio show that has just resonated with me. You said that you can see a direct line between here, where we are at this moment, I'm talking about specifically within the black community, and being back to a time when we had to get on the back of the bus. Can you just talk about that so that people can understand the kind of time that we're living in? I grew up post-civil rights, post, uh, you know, came of age in the 70s, uh, you know, voting rights. No, I, I didn't have to worry about going to vote. I, I, I came of age. I went to vote. I didn't have to worry about walking in the front door of McDonald's. You know, I, I, I did. I took it for granted. So I lived all those years sort of taking for granted the gains of the, of the, of the civil rights years. And for me, the loss of the Voting Rights Act, when the Voting Rights Act was gutted by the Supreme Court, was sort of a wake-up call. So now all of a sudden you've got this real difficulty, this real challenge. You, you've got to make a plan to vote. You can't just show up and vote. You've got to make a plan to vote and be ready to stand in line, as I did the other day, four hours or more. You've got to do all of this stuff in order to exercise franchise. And in the midst of, of, that, of that period, as the Voting Rights Act was, was, was being gutted, I remember Rand Paul uh, saying that uh, he thought that the Civil Rights Act was uh, unconstitutional. He had questions about the constitutionality of the Civil Rights Act. And a light bulb just goes on for me. Because what it says is, okay, maybe I've been taking stuff for granted, 
that I shouldn't ought to have taken for granted. Because these folks, you know, the stuff that I that I took for granted, these folks have been fighting actively against for for a very long time. And I ask, I, I challenge you, I challenge anybody who's listening to this, think for a moment, if there was some serious effort to overturn or to kill the Civil Rights Act, how many people, what percentage of Americans do you think would stand up and say, no, no, we can't do that? No, that, that, that's a terrible thing. What percentage of our, of our fellow Americans would stand up and say that? And I, I, I suspect, it would be, I don't think it would be a, a, a majority would, would, would refuse to stand up, but I think it would be a very large minority based on what we're seeing of the people who support Trump. I think there'd be a very large minority of people, say 40 percent of, of Americans, white Americans, uh, would, would, would not stand up and say, no, no, we, the, the, we need the, uh, the Civil Rights Act. We need to guarantee equal access. I don't, you know, I just, I, I have, I've become kind of disillusioned. Uh, you know, I used to believe that, you know, I used to believe that folks would stand up for me. Me meaning, you know, as an African-American, I used to believe that more of my fellow Americans would stand up for me. And what I am seeing in this, these last years tells me that I was uh, I was mistaken and that I ought not take for granted how many of my fellow Americans will actually stand up for me. There will be some, as you mentioned, the George Floyd uh, case and all these, all these, you know, and uh, those 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 white folks almost bring tears to my eyes. They bring joy to my heart every time I see them out there going Black Lives Matter. But I also know that they are in a minority of white Americans. And that is troubling. You know, there are certain things that you should be able that you should be able to take for granted. You should be able to take for granted that when you go into a into a job place and you go into a into a, a restaurant or a store, wherever it is that you go, that you're going to be treated the same as the person who was there before you and the same as the person who will come in after you. But you can't take that for granted. Maybe you never could, but you certainly can't anymore. And 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 the fact that that some people are OK with that or that it's not a five alarm hair on fire emergency to some folks, that is uh, that's troubling to me. Well, thank you very much. As always, Leonard Pitts, quite sobering. It is another wake up like call. I you. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, but it's it's about telling the truth and it's about being aware and it's more than just saying that you're woke, you know, to use my son's term, but to actually be actively involved in helping us to make sure that this country doesn't go back to 1950, that that the majority will have a voice. Yeah, we, we need to be we need to be awoke and we need to be paying paying close attention. Well, thank you so much. Leonard Pitts is an American commentator. He's a journalist. He's a novelist. He's a nationally syndicated columnist and the winner of the 2004 Pulitzer Prize for Commentary. Thank you for your time, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. You have been listening to Strands of Our Nation, Conversations with Dr. K. Thank you for listening. And until next time, remember, words are a powerful medium that effectively examine critical moments in American history. So use yours wisely. Yeah.